Welcome to Living the Bible Together. This is Dr. Troy Shaw, pastor of the Liberty Hill Church, internationally headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship here online Sundays at 11 a.m. We celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each month. Our Bible study is on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock p.m. For additional information, log on to livingthebibletogether.org. Join us here weekly as we're living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Liberty Hill. This is Sister Curry, and I'm just coming to remind everyone that this week we are showing our appreciation to Sister Kelly. Each year, you know that we come together and we show her our appreciation for all that she continues to do in support of Pastor Troy and Liberty Hill. Um, if you have any, if you need any ideas on what you can do to assist in showing your appreciation, please see the E News. There are some ideas there, or you can come to her in your own special way and show her the way that you appreciate her. Additionally, I just want to remind you all that her birthday is on September the 30th, so we want to make sure that we celebrate her birthday with her as well with a happy birthday. Have a good day. Good evening. I pray you're having a wonderful week as God continues to bless us and protect us through it all. Today we're continuing with our study of the book of Ezekiel, and we are in chapter 8. Chapters 8 through 11 are a unit, and these chapters constitute a vision that the prophet had while he was transported by the Spirit of God from Babylon to Jerusalem. Before we begin, let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and we worship you. Father, allow our hearts and minds to be open to your glorious word. We invite the Holy Spirit to renew us again and again through your word. We may not all be Ezekiel, but grant us the faith and spiritual courage to call out to those around us who may know of you, but whose hearts are far from you. Put your word into us and allow it to come forth. And we continue to give you all honor and praise. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Ezekiel chapter eight, the first verse. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month. In the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. So the sixth month is about the same time of year as our September. And this begins a new vision. Notice that the hand of God touches Ezekiel. This is a year and one month after the first vision that Ezekiel had. Ezekiel was in his home when this latest vision comes. And the elders of Judah were some of the few who still believed Ezekiel. The war had worsened and so had the idolatry. The false prophets were promising the fall of Babylon soon. The people would rather hear their news than to listen to Ezekiel and repent. Verses 2 and 3. Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire from the appearance of his loins, even downward, fire. 
and from his loins even upward as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of mine head, and the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to, to the door of the inner gate that looked toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. So the color of amber is the color of bronze and symbolizes judgment. And the fire here indicates the presence of God. So the powerful hand of God has reached down and lifted Ezekiel into the heavens directly above the earth. This vision causes Ezekiel to see inside the inner gate that looks to the north. The presence of God was in the temple in the smoke and fire. Image here is speaking of likeness. And God is looking here at this false God sitting on his throne, which stirred up the jealousy of Almighty God. This is showing Ezekiel the reason for God bringing judgment against the people and on the temple. The visions are not a description of deeds done in the past in Israel, but a survey of Israel's current condition as they existed at this various time. Verses 4 and 5. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes, now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. The glory of God indicates that God was there in glory, but was ignored while the people worshipped the idol. This vision is of the presence of God in the temple before its destruction. God is showing Ezekiel the reason for his departure from the temple and the destruction of the temple. He had every reason to destroy these people for worshipping false gods. God had not abandoned the people. His presence had been in the temple. They had abandoned God. Verse 6, he said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary? But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. Sin would expel the people from their land and God from his sanctuary. They had made idols of silver and gold and wood, some of them had been in the sanctuary itself in the very presence of God. They were constantly a reminder to God of, his, of their unfaithfulness. This lack of faith in God has driven God away from his sanctuary where he met with his people. His anger has risen up in his face. Verses 7, 8, and 9. And he brought me to the door of the court and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. This was a gate that led to the outer court and to the rooms of the priests and their families. It appears that this was a hidden area in the wall of rooms, and there seemed to be a secret door. This indicates the clandestine secrecy of these idolaters. This was not in the main part of the temple, but was in places where they stayed near the temple. 
In the private lives of the priest and the high priest, they were worshiping false gods. Verse 10 and 11. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beast and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jehazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. The temple walls were ugly with graffiti that featured creatures linked with Egyptian animal cults and other idols. Leaders of Israel, who should be worshiping the God of the temple, are offering incense to these creatures. The people of God had undoubtedly picked up the culture of the heathen nations around them. The ancient men, who had been so dedicated to God in the past, are now seen burning incense to these false gods. Jaazaniah, the son of Chaphan, was the leader of the seventy, and he's not to be confused with the Jehazaniah in the in chapter eleven one, who is listed there, but he has a different father. Ezekiel twelve through fourteen. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the chamber of his imagery? For they say, The Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. He said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. These seventy thought, because they were doing this in the privacy of their own quarters, that God would not know what they were doing. They're blaming God with forsaking the earth when they have forsaken God. They've been unfaithful to him. This is bad enough to cause the wrath of God to descend upon them. But now God says there are even worse things going on. Yet a greater abomination than the secret cult was Israel's engaging in Babylonian worship of, of Tumuz, a fertility god. Weeping for him was an act of worship intended to bring him back from the netherworld. These women were worshiping an Assyrian deity. Ezekiel 15 and 16. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about twenty and five and twenty men, with their backs toward the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east, and they worshipped the sun toward the east." It's almost impossible to believe there could be anything worse than this, but there is. God is bringing Ezekiel's attention to all the sins to show why he destroyed them. God is justified in his judgment, but he wants Ezekiel to understand that he was justified. The 25 were worshiping the false sun god, which is as old as history itself. The worship of the sun is counterfeit of worship to the true God. The sun is nothing in and of itself. It's just a container for the light. 
These 25 were representative of the 24 priests and the high priest. They were in the most sacred inner court where only priests could go. This was the crowning insult to God. Verse 17. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. The putting of the branch to their nose was part of a ritualistic worship of the false sun god. The worst part of all this is the fact that God had trusted them with his law. He had actually dwelt with his people. His presence had been in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Violence and the worship of a false god go together. It appears they have deliberately tried to anger God. God wants Ezekiel to understand why he's judging these people harshly. Verse 18. Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. They had brazenly denounced their love of God with their worship of false gods. Israel was his loving wife, and she had gone away to the love of false gods. She had not only done this terrible thing, but had brazenly done it in full view of God. God will now punish her in in full view of the world around her. He will take justifiable vengeance with no pity. They may cry out to God, but he will not listen. It is too late. That is chapter 8. We're going on to chapter 9. Verses 1 and 2. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his devastating weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen and a rider's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. God had gone into detail with Ezekiel to make him fully understand why he judged Jerusalem and Judah. He gave overabundant proof that they were guilty of the worst kind of sin. This verse suggests massive destruction of human life is coming. And... These are similar to the angels in Revelation, which bring woe upon the sinful earth at the direction of God. The judgment is against man. They came from the higher gate with slaughter weapons to do the will of God. Linen here symbolizes the righteousness of Christ, and the brazen altar is the altar of judgment. This writer's inkhorn is a vessel containing ink and has the power to mark and save the repentant. Verses 3 and 4. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. 
Here the glory of God departs before the destruction of the city and temple. It is God who knows who is to be marked and who is not. God knows the heart of man. He also knows whose names are written in the book of life. Just as the Hebrews in Egypt, whose doors were covered with the blood of the lamb, they were saved. God will separate the judgment here. This is a last-minute instruction from God. God will mark his remnant here. These are that remnant who have not bowed their knee to the false gods. They are saddened by the things that are going on. They love God. They have not been involved in this sensuous worship, worship of false gods. Verses 5 and 6. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. All of those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads were to be utterly destroyed. And of the others, with their weapon drawn, were to follow the one with the seal, and they destroyed all who were not sealed. True worshipers of God who despised idolatry would be protected. The rest would be destroyed. This seems cruel, but it is really God wiping out those unfaithful. The children were killed also, so the next generation would not worship false gods. This was a beginning again, as God did with Noah and his family. Verses 7 and 8. And he said unto them, Defile the house, and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. And it came to pass, while they were slaying them, and I was left, that I fell upon my face and cried, and said, O oh, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? The house here is the temple. And remember, this is a vision of what is to occur when the temple and the people in it are destroyed. Their dead bodies are left lying everywhere. They, they were not even buried. The bones were scattered on the altars of their false gods. The house was defiled by the worship of the false gods. Now God does not even regard this house as holy. He wants it destroyed along with the worshipers of the false gods. Ezekiel was moved to prayer because the judgment on Jerusalem and Israel is so vast. God replies that pervasive sin demands thorough judgment, yet he comforts Ezekiel by the report that the faithful had been marked to be spared. Verses 9 and 10. Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. And as for me also, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. God answers Ezekiel by telling him why he's destroying them. Perverseness here is iniquity of the worst sort. They are evil, and the hearts within them are evil. They kill, lie, and cheat. They are even unfaithful to the God who created them. This is iniquity so great that God must judge, judge them. What you sow, you will reap. They have sinned so greatly that God will have no pity on them. Judgment day is here. 
The wrath of God is poured out upon them. He will not stop until everyone has paid their wages for their sin. Verse 11. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. This man clothed in linen is like all other beings upon the earth and in heaven and under the earth, in that he is subject to God. He reports back that he has done as God requested him to do. And that ends chapter 9. Chapter 10, beginning at verse 1 and 2. Then I looked, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubims, there appeared over them, as it were, a sapphire stone, as the appearance of the likeness of a throne. And he spake unto the man clothed with linen, and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, and fill thine hand with coals of fire from between the cherubims, and scatter them over the city. And he went in, in my sight." This chapter is a continuation of the vision that Ezekiel had in the last chapter. It is as if one stage is coming into his view at a a time. God shows him one setting and then another. The sapphire here is a blue stone, speaking of the heavenlies. This is a vision of the throne in heaven. God tells the marking angel to reach into the war machine and fill his hands with fiery coals in the presence of the angels. These coals picture the fires of judgment, which God's angels are to scatter on Jerusalem. And remember, fire did destroy Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Verses 3 through 5. Now the cherubim stood on the right side of the house when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with a cloud, And the court was full of the brightness of God's glory. And the sound of the cherubim's wings were heard even to the outer court as the voice of the Almighty God when he speaketh. The cloud filled the inner court is speaking of the Chekinah glory of God which filled the court. The cherubims in this position indicate the presence of God is prepared to leave this place. The cherubims have to do with the holiness of God. They are in total worship over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. The cherubim had been on either side of the glory of God. Now the glory of God has moved to the exit of the house. The wings of the cherubim were very wide. The ones in the holy place were seven and a half feet across on each wing. The movement of these wings would make a very loud sound. And the voice of Almighty God has been likened to the sound of thunder. Verses 6, 7, and 8. And it came to pass that when he had commanded the man clothed with linen, saying, Take fire from between the wheels, from between the cherubims, then he went in and stood beside the wheels. And one cherub stretched forth his hand from between the cherubim unto the fire that was between the cherubims, and took thereof, and put it into the hands of him that was clothed with linen, who took it and went out. And there appeared in the cherubims the form of a man's hand under their wings. When the man clothed with linen was commanded of God to go and get the fire, he obeyed. He first stood beside the wheels, and one of the four cherubims put the fiery coals into the marking angel's hand. Verses 9 through 
As we read these next verses, 9 through 17, notice the similarities to chapter 1, verses 4 through 21. The four wheels on God's chariot mingled with the four angels, coordinated with each other in precision, and each with a different one of the cherubim. Verse 9, And when I looked, behold, the four wheels by the cherubims, one wheel by each cherub, and one wheel by another cherub. And the appearance of the wheels was as the color of a barrel stone. And as for their appearances, they four had one likeness, as if a wheel had been in the midst of a wheel. When they went, they went upon their four sides. They turned not as they went, but to the place whither the head looked, they followed it. They turned not as they went. And their whole body and their backs and their hands and their wings and the wheels were full of eyes round about, even the wheels that they four had. As for the wheels, it was cried unto them in my hearing, O wheel. And every one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second face was the face of a man. The third face, the third, the face of a lion. And the fourth, the face of an eagle. And the cherubims were lifted up. This is the living creature that I saw by the river of Kabar. And when the cherubims went, the wheels went by them. And when the cherubims lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels also turned not from beside them. And when they stood, these stood. And when they were lifted up, these lifted up themselves also. For the spirit of the living creature was in them. All looked so much alike as it was as if one wheel blended entirely with another. Their appearance was so unified. Their action was in unison. The cherubim had bodies like men and their chariot wheels were full of eyes, denoting perception both to see the sinners and their fitting judgment. The hub of the wheel was a wheel itself. There was the divine impulse by which God moved them to do his will. The eyes symbolize wisdom, God's perfect knowledge given to these angelic servants so that they can act unerringly. The vision here and the vision in chapter 1 of the presence of God in the wheels are the same. They are ready to move in unison as the Shekinah glory of God got ready to depart. Verses 18 and 19. Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels also were beside them. And everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. This is the beginning of the departure of the presence of God. The progressive departure of, of the glory of the Lord continues with a move from above the threshold to a position above the four cherubim, no longer in contact with the temple. God has left the temple. He left them and his teachings in the word. Excuse me. They left him and his teachings. Now he has totally removed his presence from the temple. Verses 20 through 22. This is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel by the river of Kabar, and I knew that they were the cherubims. Everyone had four faces apiece, and everyone four wings, and the likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings. 
and the likeness of their faces was the same faces which I saw by the river of Kabar, their appearances and themselves. They went every one straight forward. The cherubims symbolized the holiness of God, and they went straight forward following God. And that is chapter 10. Moving on to chapter 11. Verse 1 and 2. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me unto the east gate of the Lord's house, house, which looketh eastward. And behold, at the door of the gate five and twenty men, among whom I saw Jazaniah, the son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaniah, princes of the people. Then said he unto me, Son of man, these are the men that devise mischief and give wicked counsel in this city. These 25 men were supposed to be leaders of the people, and they had. They had led their people into the worship of a false god. Ezekiel was at the temple in a vision. God, who was everywhere present and all-knowing, impressed specific details on him in the vision. The wicked leaders were part of God's reason for the judgment. Ezekiel was taken in the spirit to the very place which the glory of God had left and was given a vision of 25 men who were but influential leaders among the people and gave them fatal advice. Their counsel was evil. Three, verse three, which say it is not near. Let us build the houses. This city is the cauldron and we be the flesh. These false predictions were things these fleshly people wanted to hear. They were false predictions of good times. They were told to go ahead and build houses here. They would not follow God's advice and surrender to the Babylonians. Jeremiah had told them to build houses in captivity as they would be in Babylon for a long time. Time proved Jeremiah right and these false prophets wrong. Cauldron was a boiling pot or pan. This meant that they were... They thought that they were protected because they were in this walled city. Wherefore, therefore prophesy against them, prophesy, O son of man, verse 5. And the spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said unto me, Thus speak, thus saith the Lord. Thus have ye said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Ezekiel was to denounce their prophecy by giving the true prophecy from God. Notice what empowered Ezekiel to speak. The spirit of the Lord fell upon him. Verses 6 through 9. Ye have multiplied your slain in this city, and ye have filled the streets thereof with the slain. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, your slain, whom ye have laid in the midst of it, they are the flesh, and this city is the cauldron, but I will bring you forth out of the midst of it. Ye have feared the sword, and I will bring a sword upon you, saith the Lord God. And I will bring you out of the midst thereof, and will deliver you into the hands of strangers, and will execute judgments among you. Their disobedience will cause... Their disobedience will cause many of them to die, many more than was necessary. God has given them every opportunity to repent, and they have not. Their unfaithfulness and disobedience have caused their number of slain to be multiplied. The dead bodies would be the flesh in this walled city. God will let Babylon take them captive. 
Many will die by the sword, but many more will die by famine and pestilence. These are those who thought they had escaped, but are hunted down and die in their greatest fear, the sword. Verse 9 is speaking of those who are taken into Babylon in chains. They and their children will remain there 70 years. God has judged them, and each of them are punished accordingly. Verses 10 and 11. Ye shall fall by the sword. I will judge you in the border of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. This city shall not be your cauldron, neither shall ye be the flesh in the midst thereof, but I will judge you in the border of Israel. We know that so many died by the sword that they did not even bury them. They just left their bodies for the vultures and the wild beasts. The easiest easiest death of all was death by the sword because it was swift. Jerusalem with its wall has always been a place of protection. Now it will not be. God has judged them and in so doing, he took his hedge of protection away from them. Verse 12, And ye shall know... That I am the Lord, for ye have not walked in my statutes, neither executed my judgments, but have done after the manners of the heathens that are round about you. These are God's chosen people. They had not walked in the protection he had provided. They had picked up worship of false gods from their heathen neighbors. They didn't stop going through the motions of worshiping God, but their hearts were far from him. They worshiped false gods along with doing the rituals of service to God. Verse 13, And it came to pass when I prophesied that Pelatiah, the son of Benaniah, died. Then fell I down upon my face and cried with a loud voice and said, O Lord God, wilt thou make a full end of the remnant of Israel? The death of this evil leader brought such shock to Ezekiel that he feared God would kill all of the Jews and not leave a remnant. The destruction in this vision was so great that it overwhelmed Ezekiel and he fell on his face pleading for the remnant to be spared. Verses 14 and 15. Again, the Lord, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, thy brethren, even thy brethren, the men of thy kindred and all the house of Israel holy are they unto the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said. Get you far from the Lord. Unto us is this land given in possession. There was a break from the other prophecy here. Ezekiel hears the word of God again, and God gives answer to Ezekiel's question. Some of Ezekiel's own people were involved in this revolt against God. He had been a priest, so many of the people who came to worship God were classified as Ezekiel's brothers, but they were not obedient to God. They wanted to stay and claim the land God had given them by inheritance. So get far away. The contemptuous words of those still left in Jerusalem indicated that they felt very secure and believed the land was their possession. But they have forgotten that the land was one of the blessings if they obeyed God. Verse 16. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God. Although I have cast them far off among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. Little sanctuary is better translated, I will be with them for a while. That is, however long the captivity lasted. 
God was to be the protection and the provision for those who had been scattered through all the 70 years until they were restored. God is not just in Israel. He will be with them in their captivity, wherever they are. They had put much emphasis on the temple in Jerusalem because they knew the presence of God had been there. They thought of the temple and God as being inseparable. Verses 17 and 18. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where ye have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And they shall come thither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof, and all the abominations thereof from thence. God will bring his children home after their captivity. He will be with them in Babylon, but even better is the promise that he will bring them back into their own land. The remnant, which does not die, will go back into the land promised to them through Abraham. There must be a spiritual cleansing in the land. Most of the detestable things would have been burned up in the fire, but anything left must be destroyed. They must completely cleanse their land from idolatry and false prophets. Ezekiel 19 and 20. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. God will change them from the inside. He will give them hearts with feelings to replace the stony hearts. The heart is the center of what we are. God will begin with that and make them new creatures in him. The one heart is speaking of there being a spiritual unity among them. God will write his laws upon their hearts. Verse 21. But as for them whose heart walketh after the heart of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own heads, saith the Lord God. Each person has a free will to worship whom they will. God does not force them to worship him. If they choose the false gods of this world, God will not help them. God will repay them for their evil if they are stubborn and will not give up the false gods. Verses 22 and 23. Then did the cherubims lift up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over, above, over them above. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. This beautiful presence of God that is almost unexplainable lifts up above them. This departure of the divine glory in Ezekiel's vision is a signal that the vision is over. As the chariot throne ascends into heaven, the glory of the Lord also rises finally from the city and stands on the Mount of Olives east of the city, then ascends and disappears. Verse 24. Afterwards, the Spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea, to them of the captivity. So the vision that I had seen went up from me. Remember in the early part of this vision that God had taken Ezekiel by the hair and raised him up to receive this vision. This is now saying that he was returned to where he had been captive at the beginning of this vision. 
the vision of the wheels and the presence of God went away from Ezekiel. Verse 25. Then I spake unto them of the captivity, all the things that the Lord had showed me. Once this vision was completed, Ezekiel was able to tell his exiled countrymen what God had shown him. Ezekiel, who was captive with many of them from Israel, spoke to his fellow captives. This prophecy has a promise of restoration to their homeland, to those who truly believe in God. Some of this is an explanation of why they had these troubles. Some of this is showing the terribleness of the decision that was made by those who stayed in Jerusalem. The hope is in the remnant that God will be with them, even in their captivity. And this ends chapter 11. And I believe we will end there with this unit, 8 through 11, that spoke of this vision of of, uh, God to Ezekiel. And I pray that you will have a good week, and we will pick up at chapter 12 next week. God bless you. This has been another broadcast of Living the Bible Together with Dr. Troy Shaw from the Liberty Hill Church, where we worship virtually on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information or to contribute to this ministry, please visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. God bless you and have a great week. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. (laughs) 